We are outdoor ladies who hunt, fish, camp, and more, all while working in conservation. I am Julia Plugi with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. And I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I am Tana Wagner with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. And we want to see you outdoors. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. Uh, we hope you all had a wonderful, happy Halloween. Uh, I, I keep thinking back to our discussion of creepy crawly invasives from a, a week ago and and just kind of sticks in my brain. But um, it's fall. It's it's finally here. Football, leaves, crunching, all of those good things. And I don't know about you, but it's been 70 in Iowa. It's been absolutely amazing. Um, I'm trying to convince myself that it is fall and that it's not just like a beautiful August day, but the 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 colors of the trees have certainly given it away and, and raking up those wonderful things. So, but thinking of those leaves, like it's been such a long, hot, dry summer. It's amazing to see the reds and the yellows and the oranges pop on the trees. So Tana, it's so good to see your face. I'm so excited hey. to be to be on mic with you again. How are you doing? Thank you so much. It's great to be back. I am doing wonderful. I appreciate you guys giving me a little break. I had some things that I needed to get done. So it is good to be back. I can't get over how crazy stunning this year has been. Just by the way, listeners, if you are interested in the science behind why the leaves change, you can always check out our episode that we did with Deidre Kramer, where we dive into the science behind that beautiful transformation. But speaking of transformations, y'all, oh I boy, am officially oh a missus. <laughs> so um, Jacob and I got married on October 22nd in Pretty Prairie, Kansas, and we had the most magical honeymoon at Lake Scott State Park out in western Kansas. And uh, we're kind of calling it like a mini moon because we're hoping to do something maybe overseas um, later on once we recover financially from the um, the big old party that we had. <laughs> but um, we went out to Lake Scott for a mini moon and it was just an absolutely wonderful time. Lake Scott is a beautiful oasis and we got to see Smoky Valley Ranch. Uh, we got to see Monument Rocks and we even got to see Little Jerusalem Badlands. So I highly encourage everyone to make the trip to the area. You will not be sorry. And Tana, remind me, is is Little Jerusalem not one of the state parks that we featured when we were talking to Linda? It is. So it's um, one of the newer parks that she mentioned. So she brought that up on our episode for State Parks with Linda Landerman. If you guys want to tune into that one as well. She talked about that partnership with um, Little Jerusalem Badlands with the Nature Conservancy. So we are so excited and proud to offer that as a new state park location. And um, you can go and just do self-guided tours and kind of walk around the edge, or you can sign up for a guided tour with one of our staff as well that will take you down kind of more into the canyon. It is, it's really, really a cool experience. We just did the self-guided tour because they didn't have any tours scheduled the day we went, but um, it was super, super wonderful. Really recommend it. Um, and aside from the gorgeous landscapes and chalk formations, we also saw so much wildlife. And I told Jacob that when we booked our mini moon out there, I was like, listen, because I had been before and he had never been. It's like, this place is magical. It's kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. Then all of a sudden it's this beautiful like canyon oasis and there's critters everywhere. There's, you know, I always saw stuff when I used to stay out there for work. 
so we saw a giant flock of turkeys, multiple giant flocks of turkeys, like 50 strong, which was incredible to see. Um, we saw a pronghorn antelope, a baby possum, a speckled king snake. We saw belted kingfishers and even a mama bobcat and two spunky little kittens. It was super, super cute. Um, of course, that was when Jacob didn't have his camera with him, so we didn't get to snap many good pictures, but it was awesome just to be able to watch those and, and take that in. They were a feisty little bunch. <laughs> it sounds like an awesome trip. Oh my gosh, it was an amazing trip. We did a little kayaking as well, and from the water, we actually spotted an awesome souvenir to commemorate our honeymoon trip, and that was a white-tailed deer deadhead. So <laughs> Jacob and I got a kick out of the fact that the first thing I signed as a married woman was a salvage tag. <laughs> that's that's pretty fitting if i have to say right so. <laughs> so you know we kind of talked about fall the weather's cooling off people are heading outside we're hiking we're biking kayaking we finally have that reprieve from the heat i don't know about y'all but this is the only time i really get to go fish because i'm not fighting the heat and those stupid mosquitoes um, and of course, it's hunting season, which we're all excited and gearing up for. But as you're heading out there, you're probably going to see other things in the woods. To Tana's point, so when I when I when she was telling me about this white-tailed deer deadhead, I was like, "What is this? Like a new species or something? Like what are you talking about?" <laughs> it took me a while to realize that she was talking about she she found a beautiful set of antlers with a skull attached so um once i figured that out as the uh, as the probably non-biologist in all of us it took me a while but once i figured it out i'm like oh my gosh yes it is almost you know there's some great fall mushroom hunting and then there's also shed hunting coming up so yeah i can't imagine how nice that that beautiful mount is going to look in your house and you're going to remember that for so long it's it's exciting to hear that that you found it yeah thanks we were really stoked i was um it was a whitetail and there are some mule deer in that area so i was really hoping to see either live mule deer or find a mule deer shed but seeing that rack was super cool kind of sticking up in the grass by the bank and it was something that we just felt like we manifested you know it was <laughs> um but it was really cool to see and you know it always is worth thinking about when we're outside there's always cool treasures to be found and some of these items do make great trophies to bring home to kind of commemorate your trip while others require special permitting or should just be left in place entirely so to help us sort out the details, we are joined today by the incredible and wildly talented Kelly Lazar, a Kansas game warden and valued becoming an outdoors woman firearms instructor, among her many other titles and talents. So Kelly is going to help us understand salvage tags, what they're used for and why they're needed. Kelly, welcome. It is great to have you here with us this morning. Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on here. Looking forward to it. I appreciate it. Kelly is like one of my go-to gals and I just appreciate her so much for her willingness to help inspire, empower, and educate people in the outdoors and especially women. So Kelly, you're just a rock star and we can't thank you enough for all that you do. Thank you. Kelly, thanks again for joining us. Um, before we get started, we always want to hear from our guests. Like, Tell us about yourself. Where did you come from? maybe the education choices and how did you end up in Kansas as a conservation officer? 
Well, I actually grew up out here in Southwest Kansas, so I didn't really have to travel too far. I became a game warden about four and a half years ago, and just last year I promoted to lieutenant out here. I cover Region 1D, which is out here in the southwest corner. There's like 19 counties that I supervise out here. And when we're fully staffed, there'll be seven wardens that cover those 19 counties. Like I said, I grew up out here. I grew up hunting, fishing, camping, all of that. So the outdoors is really way of life for me. I still hunt and fish whenever I can. I grow a garden every year and do a lot of canning and stuff like that, processing. Whenever we'd go hunting, uh, we built a walk-in cooler in our shed. So we hang up our deer and we do all our own processing with that too. Made my own summer sausage recipe from scratch. So I like to be very hands-on with that stuff. For education, whenever I got hired on, they still required a bachelor degree. So I have a bachelor's in criminal justice. And then after I hired on, I actually went on and finished my master's. So I have a master's in management as well. I can't think of anyone more qualified for that leadership role. And congrats on your promotion, Kelly. Thanks. So we were chatting a little bit about that honeymoon trip and about the deadhead. And Rachel was kind of talking about what a deadhead is. Can you help um, remind us and kind of resummarize that for us? Yeah, so basically a deadhead refers to any of the big game, uh, white-tailed muley, it can be an antelope or an elk. And basically what that is, is it's that big game animal skull, whether or not there are antlers or horns attached to it. That's good to know. I wasn't sure about the attachment of antlers of whether or not um, people still collect those. Is that something that you get a lot of salvage tag calls for, like a doe skull or something without antlers? Yeah, I'll get calls for them, and usually it picks up more so uh, during harvest and once pheasant season is kicked in because people are more out in the fields, and that's when they're going to come across these carcasses. Awesome. So our timing is spot on for this one, Rachel. A plus. <laughs> okay. So you, you mentioned kind of the salvage tag. What is a salvage tag? Is it different than a normal hunting license? Yeah. So a salvage tag is issued for, in Kansas, it's issued for any big game or turkey. So it takes the place of the permit that you're required to have in order to take one when it's alive. It's got two parts to it. There's a top half and a bottom half. You keep the top half and the department keeps the bottom half. The top half gets attached to the deadhead and we send the bottom half off for research purposes. They collect that information. Hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. So when I, we were laughing about how that was the first thing I signed as a married woman, it was that salvage tag that <laughs> that I signed. And I didn't know what to do yet because I changed my name to take um, Jacob's last name, Wagner. But, you know, obviously legally it wasn't changed. So I signed it with both my names. And I'm pretty sure the nice gentleman, Scott, that was helping me out thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. Okay. So in a previous episode, we had talked about the difference um, or we talked about shed hunting with Marissa Jensen and you went, uh, went over the difference between a deadhead and a shed. Like a deadhead is that skull, whether antlers are attached or not. And then a shed is just those detached antlers. So can you tell us why a salvage tag is required for deadheads, but not for shed antlers? Yeah. So shed antlers are no longer part of the carcass. The animal has lost it naturally. 
Um, whenever you have the deadhead, that is still part of the carcass. And the way our wildlife laws are written is it includes the dead body and parts thereof for our wildlife definition. So that's why you have to have a salvage tag or your permit in order to possess any of those dead parts. But whenever the animal loses it naturally, you don't have to have that tag. So Kelly, beyond the the deadhead, the, that big game animal that you're going to use that salvage tag, what, what else can you use a salvage tag for? So salvage tags typically are used for they, they get handed out for the deadheads when someone comes across them. But when we typically give these out are in uh, like car accidents, roadkill. Um, if you want to collect a deer off the side of the road that someone hit or that you hit, before you can move that animal, you have to have a salvage tag. Like I said, it gets used for any of our big games. So a whitetail, a muley, antelope, elk or turkey because turkeys also require a tag to possess so if you hit any of those and you want to take any of those animals home call up warden call up sheriff's department and get one of those tags before you move it that's good to know i didn't know that turkeys fell into that but i will keep that in mind in the future and what about something like a pheasant kelly that i've I've heard people getting pheasants like stuck in the grill of their truck or something like that what would somebody do in that situation I know some wardens have filled out these salvage tags for pheasants because on the bottom of them, there's a spot that says other. So someone can circle that and write in what the species was, Um, especially if it's outside of hunting season, because you can't legally possess that outside of the seasons. If you smack a pheasant in your grill during pheasant season, as long as you have a hunting license, you don't need to call anyone. You can keep it unless it's a hen, then you can't keep it. As I say, here in the state of Iowa, a hen pheasant and then a spotted fawn deer are are two that we do not issue salvage tags for so just just a heads up but and, and it makes me think so we had a pretty good um last fall we had a really good weather patterns where we were getting kind of tornadic weather and we had a a touchdown and then about 30 miles away we had all of these geese and ducks just drop so it was like a a migrating group got hit with some sort of static or or electricity in the air and all of a sudden they just fell because we have camera footage of just all of these ducks and geese falling and um, we got a bunch of calls around that time for wondering if they could if they could get a salvage tag because it was out of season for um for the game and it, just trying to figure out the process so it was like such a random situation that we had never come across before and and we did have officers issue salvage tags because we were out of season and because they're um a migratory bird we you know we wanted to make sure that they were accounted for um and then and then but we didn't want them just to be wanton waste. So um, it was kind of a, a weird one that, that no code or rule uh, is ever going to address. So it's kind of kind of a fun side story. Sorry. What a random situation. Kelly, have you ever had to deal with anything like that? Nothing like that, thankfully. About <laughs> uh, the weirdest one I had a request for was a bobcat. And unless it's during the fur harvester season and they have a fur harvester license, <clears throat> There, I don't issue them for those. I got okay, that, 
And that that's good because that was going to be my next question for you was, you know, other other smaller species like foxes, raccoons, coyotes. I mean, we always see it's so cool to see their skull, but, you know, are they required for something like that to take home uh, for personal use? So with your forebears, the foxes, raccoons, badgers, skunks, stuff like that, they are a forebearer. And in order to possess any part of the forebearer, it has to be taken during the fur harvester season. So that means I think this year it starts on November 16th um, here in Kansas. After November 16th, if you have a fur harvester license and you come across one of those deadheads, you can possess it then and take it. But outside of that season, no. That's really good to know. I know a lot of people that, you know, might find a cool skunk skull or something or a fox skull outside of season and just think that that is an awesome thing to take home and a cool educational tool. And it absolutely can be, but we always want to make sure we're operating within the parameters of the law. And on that, Rachel, you had mentioned the migratory birds that you had fall, um, you know, if you're out walking around through the woods or whatever, and you do find a bird skull, just let people know you can't pick that up and take it home either because all those birds are federally protected, whether it's a robin or a blackbird or a duck. So you have to leave them away. You can admire it out there in the wild, but have to leave it. Good time to snap a picture. Yeah. Yeah. So we were out uh, pheasant hunting two years ago now, and we were at a, a wildlife management area. And my son was walking behind us because he, he wanted to be part of the hunt, but isn't old enough. So he usually walks right behind with like a stick and whacks at everything. Uh, it's almost as good as a game dog. But um, <laughs> uh, so as we were walking, naturally, he's staring at the ground and he picks up something and comes running so excited. He's like, look what I found. He found a tortoise shell out in this fairly dry, arid area. And I'm like, what can we take it can we keep it <laughs> like uh and so it turns out it was a blanding's turtle um and here in the state of iowa the, they are a protected species so the long story short was no we had to put it back where it was but we got some great photos um but it it was a good reminder in the process i called my local conservation officer and was like I don't know what we found, but it's big and it's a shell. And, you know, in trying to explain, I, I can't imagine some of the phone calls you get, Kelly, of people trying to explain what they've found and, you know, and, and you trying to diagnose it in your head. It, I can't imagine, but we appreciated their, uh, their willingness to kind of explain and then, and then basically walked us through. We couldn't keep it for personal use, but if the department had a need for it, you know, it could go to a, a public uh, entity. So that was kind of an interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And that's um, sometimes like our departments or educators will have special education permits or education collection permits that they can use to collect specimens like that when used in those kind of public display or education purposes. And Kelly, is that something that law enforcement typically handles here in Kansas? So on the, for the educational permits and whatnot, I don't believe that we issue them as the wardens. Uh, they'll get a hold of the Pratt office and talk to the licensing there and they can get them set up with the correct uh, applications and steps that they need to go through to acquire that permit. All great information to know. You know, another thing that um, we discover a lot on this podcast, and for the most part, Kansas, Nebraska, and Iowa are pretty similar in their regulations, but 
Um, as we start talking about going outside of state, the rules and regulations can change. And it's always really important to be aware of when you're traveling between states. So in Kansas, you do not need any special license or permit to hunt for and collect shed antlers, although some states do require this. So Kelly, um, do you want to talk to us about that at all and just maybe give us the best way to find out what those regulations are for the state that you are either living in or visiting? My best recommendation is if you ever have any questions on that or anything wildlife related is to get a hold of the state wildlife office. Here in Kansas and all our regulation books, in those regulations is every phone number by county for the game wardens. I don't mind if I get phone calls. Wardens don't mind if they get phone calls asking. You can also reach out to our Pratt office. That's our main operations office. And the ladies working there are great and can get you the answers you need. Awesome. Always good to know. Yeah, I can imagine stumbling across like a giant elk antler or moose antler and being really excited, but in a different state, not in Kansas, and uh, not knowing whether or not I could take that. So that's good information to have and definitely get in touch with your local law enforcement or wildlife and parks office there. Okay, Kelly. So one thing that I've always wondered, and I honestly didn't know the right thing to do, was if I am kayaking or hiking and I find a deadhead, let's say, like I did on the honeymoon, and I know I need a salvage tag, I've always been a little bit unsure about whether or not I could just pick up and move that deadhead to like a more convenient area. So let's say I'm kayaking and I take it back to the dock with me, or if I'm hiking, can I take it back to the trailhead? I know I need to call the game warden and I will do that, but what is your recommendation as a game warden? Should I just let the skull lay and then call the game warden when I get back to the cabin and try to take them back to go get the deadhead? Or should I take it to the dock or an easier access location? So before any deadhead can be moved, it has to be tagged. So until you have that salvage tag for that deadhead, it has to stay there. Um, I tell people if it's in a remote area, drop a Google Maps pin or some type of GPS location where you found it so you can find it again easily. It's no different than with the regular big game tags before you can move that ammo you took, you have to tag it before it can leave the field. Same thing with the deadheads, same thing with roadkill. You can't just take it after you hit it. It has to be tagged before it can leave that location. That's so good to know. We, we had, oh, it was probably four years ago now. Um, we had a, a hunter that was out and he was by a river and two two males had locked their their antlers and they actually ended up dying that way. So he came across two, you know, two deer locked and he was like oh my gosh and and you know the the intent of the salvage tag is really to for human consumption now in this particular situation the the animals had been passed for so long there was no way that the that meat would be um you know any good anymore so but he he actually called his conservation officer he came out and they were able to actually tag them first and then move them onto a boat so then they could move them and and it's just kind of a fun story but um would have never guessed that you would have found you know two deer just on the side of of the the lake like you were talking tana and and but such good good information and a good reminder as we're heading into hunting season that with all of those tag species you have to get that tag on before you can move and that even means just moving to take that photo it's something we always talk about and and 
And sometimes it gets just pushed to the back and you forget about it, but it is so important to get those tags. Um, Kelly, when you, f- when folks find deadheads, any idea what like the normal cause of death is? I'm, I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball here and, you know, is it, <laughs> is it, do you predominantly find it with, with roadkill or accidents like you kind of mentioned, or is it just uncovered or unrecovered game? Any idea on that? There is such a wide range of why or how people come across these deadheads. I guess, depending on the time of year, it's going to depend on why, like during the fall, the majority of our tags that are issued, we're going to have a lot of roadkill stuff hitting on the roads, highways, stuff like that. So that's where the majority of these tags are going to go. And it's really hard to tell, especially if it's a really old carcass if it's just bones at that point or if it's been there for a day or two just to backtrack a touch you had mentioned that the tags were for more so for human consumption and that's a very good point to make um, especially with roadkill we'll get calls from people that well i hit this deer but i just want the head well that's what that's not the purpose of these tags if you want us to come out and give you a tag if you want that head we tell everyone you have to take the entire carcass. So if you find a deer that's say it's in the process of decomposing and it's been there for a week and smells wonderful, you want that salvage tag. You have to take that entire carcass. You can't take just the head. So these tags are to help make sure these animals don't go to waste, not necessarily just for finding a dead head. Oh, good point. And Kelly, I imagine that there, um, you know, when we were talking about not moving that specimen when you find it, I imagine that could have some pretty important law enforcement implications as well. For example, if that deer was part of an active poaching case or in an area where active poaching was suspected, um, is it possible that that animal you found might be involved in an active case? Absolutely. um, Most of the wardens, we keep track of where these tags were issued at, especially if they're in really remote locations. Um, I keep track of where my tags come from and what's going on in the area. So that way, if you start noticing, hey, I've issued a bunch of tags in this same mile location over the last couple of years, then you might have a problem area to kind of keep a better eye on. I know one of the common causes, or not necessarily common, but one of the potential causes of deer mortality is disease as well. And I could see where that would be helpful for a biologist as well, um, especially if they're finding a lot of deer deadheads or carcasses around water. That can sometimes be an indication of a, de- a deer being diseased or injured and going to water. So that could indicate that there was disease in the area potentially even. So it makes a lot of sense that you wouldn't want us to move those deer around. Yeah. And on the disease part of it, um, something for people that are going out of state with these heads that they find, you really need to pay attention to the laws within your state. A lot of places have the laws where you can't take the skulls in. It has to be skull capped. There can't be any brain matter of any sort within the skull anymore for that very reason to help prevent disease spread. So if you are taking a head, whether it's a dead head or animal you killed, make sure you pay attention to what you can and can't do within your own state. Uh, such a great point, you know, with the spread of so many uh, big game diseases going on right now, it, it, it is something to think about. I know here in Iowa, we have a lot of folks heading out west to Colorado. It's elk season and they're all excited about 
getting out there and, and getting hunting. So um, as they're heading back home, make sure that they're paying attention to the transport laws for, for each state that you're driving through. Kelly, other than game wardens, who else can issue a salvage tag in Kansas? Any of the law enforcement agencies within the state can. Um, your sheriff's offices all should have uh, salvage tags available to them. I believe troopers carry them as well. So don't know if the troopers would appreciate you calling them just specifically for a salvage tag. But if you have an accident on the road or something, uh, they should be able to issue you one on site. If you're out camping, hiking, whatever, and come across one, give your local game warden a call if you want to collect it. That's the same here in Iowa. Um, all of our law enforcement agencies can issue, um, but they're predominantly done by conservation officers and local sheriff's office. Um, but our troopers certainly do have the ability to it, do it also. And, and as we're gearing up into the rut and, and more and more deer on car collisions, that's certainly something that they, they handle. And, and I don't know about Kansas, but here in Iowa, there's kind of like a, a hierarchy of who can, who can, take or who can be issued the salvage tag like if you're at an accident it goes to the people involved in the accident then it goes public then it goes to nonprofits, and then it's others and and a lot of sheriff's office actually have lists of people who will who are looking for and, and willingly will take um roadkill deer predominantly but kind of an interesting thing that i hadn't really thought about before Hmm. Yeah, and if you are involved in an accident and you're not sure whether you personally want to consume that deer, there are donation facilities available if the deer is not in too bad of shape. Obviously, we don't want anyone to consume meat that's been compromised or damaged in any way or is unsafe, but um, that's an option to look into as well. I know in Kansas, we have the Kansas Hunters Feeding the Hungry program, and that's, I think, nationwide. Most states have some sort of organization like that that deer can be donated to. So um, that's something if you're on the phone with your local local game warden that you can chat with them about and see whether or not that's an option or you can get online and look for more information about that group just to be prepared in case you are ever in that situation. Iowa has the same thing, different acronym. Ours is Help Us Stop Hunger. So HUSH program is what it's called. And and there's lockers all across the state that you can drop off a legally tagged animal and they will donate the meat to to our um, our shelters. And that, and our community centers that are that are giving out food so all right kelly so i'm kind of quizzing myself as we go um after i was given my salvage tag for my white-tailed deer deadhead what comes next what should i do with that tag does it need to be kept with the skull or the meat that someone collects or does it need to be displayed visibly what are the parameters there if you collected a deadhead and got the salvage tag for it. That salvage tag has to stay with the deadhead the entire time you have it. If you got a salvage tag for roadkill for the meat, you have to possess that tag until all the meat is consumed. Consumed, Then you can throw it away. Basically, as long as you have the part of the animal you got that tag for, you keep the tag. Good to know. And then I know we're moving toward like electronic tags and permits right now, but as of right now, there is no electronic tag or permitting available for salvage tags. So again, be sure to get in touch with your local game warden or local law enforcement if potentially they're the first responders to an accident. Um, that is not something that's stored electronically on your phone or that you can just purchase. That's something that you need to chat with law enforcement officials about. 
Correct. And on that, salvage tags are free. You don't have to pay anything for them. So if you need one, don't worry about it. It's not going to cost you anything. Oh, that's good to know. I always forget that that part. It's it, it's going to cost you a phone call and, and that's about it. And maybe some of your time, but um, it, it, no money out of your pocket. Kelly, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, what else do people need to know about salvage tags? Uh, well, I think we pretty much covered it very well. The main points of it is to make sure you get your tag before you move that animal and to keep it as long as you have part of that animal with you. Again, therefore, more so for consumption. You can't get it to just take the head off a deer that you just smacked on the highway or watch someone smack. Yeah, take the whole carcass. So, Yeah, that's good. And I know I was talking with some of the gals in law enforcement upstairs here at the Pratt office. And they said they get a lot of calls with people questioning, um, let's say they shot a deer during hunting season and for whatever reason, they weren't able to recover it. And then they're walking around in their field and they stumble across it, let's say a couple weeks later. Um, and people are wondering whether or not they can get a salvage tag for that deer to take the skull. Um, at that point, the meat is probably not usable. Kelly, what's your response in situations like that? That is your deer. Your deer tag belongs on that carcass. Um, same thing if you end up harvesting a deer and then find out it was sick or it had already been shot, had a wound of some sort. I tell everyone that's your deer. You shot it. Your tag goes on it. Um, I get a lot of calls during hunting season. Someone calls me, hey, I shot this doe. She wasn't acting right. She was sick. I want you You need to come put a salvage tag on it. I'm like, I'm sorry, that that became your deer whenever you shot it. If you don't want to put your tag on it, you need to call me whenever you find the deer while it's still alive. And I can come put it down. Another warden can come put it down. But if you put it down, then that became your deer. And that's a that's just a great ethical hunter reminder, right? When when you decide to take the shot, you decide that that is yours, and you follow it from the moment you pull the trigger or release the bow until you've tagged it. It, it is it is yours. Um, you know you've made that commitment, and you are you are now bound to it. So um, a great reminder as folks are heading out into the field that you know with with all this fun and excitement of hunting there is a great responsibility and um we are asking all of our hunters to keep that front and present and and yeah to just remember that all those on your shoulder and and is wondering what you're doing and so so yeah just just remember that so um kelly thank you so much for all the information with hunting season coming right up um if it hasn't already started in all of our states uh it's just it's just a great timely reminder um as we're out in the woods maybe a little bit more often than we were this summer um any other things that you want to you want to leave our listeners to um it doesn't necessarily have to be about salvage tags uh, just anything that's that's coming up or, or a friendly reminder you want to leave our listeners with yeah, well, uh, here in Kansas, our pheasant season's getting ready to kick off, not this coming weekend, but weekend after, I believe. Um, so just make sure you have your hunting license in your possession and whenever you get ready to go out. And the biggest issue, make sure you have permission where you're going. Uh, 
That's something we come across a lot. Just because the ground's not posted doesn't mean that you can hunt it. Here in Kansas, all the ground is private ground and you have to have permission everywhere you go. Yep. Always a good reminder. And wear that orange too, right, Kelly? It's a good idea to wear the orange. We always recommend the orange. Yes, always wear your orange. That would help prevent a lot of hunting accidents we see during pheasant season if people would wear it more. Perfect. All right, Kelly. Well, thank you again. Um, I know I've said it all the time, but I'm always in awe of your level of knowledge and professionalism in the field at our events and, of course, now on the podcast as well. So I really appreciate you jumping at the the chance to help um, get the word out and educate and empower more women in the outdoors. We really appreciate you being here today. And, of course, thanks again for all you do. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys for inviting me. All right, listeners, thank you as always for tuning in. We appreciate it. Um, As you head outdoors this fall, send us pictures. We want to see what treasures you find. Um, Post on our Facebook, tag us. Remember to be safe. Carry your cell phone. Make sure you, you plan your hunt and hunt your plan. Make sure someone knows where you're going, what you're doing, and when you're going to be back. And most importantly, check in with them and let them know that you're back. Um, the weather is always kind of funky, so make sure you're, you're checking to see what that's going to do. And um, most importantly, have fun. Uh, make sure you follow us on social media. She goes outdoors. Share our podcast with your friends. Uh, give a rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you get the next episode on your phone or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, as Tan always says, happy fall, y'all. Uh, we'll see you outdoors. outdoors.